First Kings chapter 19. Who's ready for the Word of God today? I am honestly so ready to preach. First Kings chapter 19. We're going to start reading in verse 1. It's on the screen as well. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets, all the prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me. May it be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. Boy, that sounds good. And a jar of water. He ate bread and drank and then lay down again. The angel came back to him a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into the cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and it shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. We know that in New Zealand. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mountain, at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what? Are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put to death your prophets, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Jaff, uh, that guy, uh, uh, from that place, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to the death any who escape the sword of Jehazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the word, the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, and so it goes on. The Christian life was always meant to be something that we lived in relationship. Christianity is not simply about a resolve, a a determination, a decision that you're going to follow Jesus and no matter what, you're going to go after Him. All relationships need to have that kind of resolve. Unless you have a decision that you're going to follow Jesus, no matter what life brings to you, no matter, no matter, once you've decided that Jesus is alive and real, then resolve is obviously a key fundamental to having a relationship 
relationship with God, that, that just when you encounter adversity, you don't pack it in and give it up on God because something bad has happened to you in life because you'll never have a great relationship that way. I've just been away from Jillian for 12 days. That's a long time to be away from one's wife. I, I just enjoyed seeing her up here on stage, even just doing the notices. I was just like, that is so beautiful. This, I don't even care what she's saying. I'm just enjoying the fact that beauty is standing before me today. God, God has been good to me. My boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. You, you know what I'm talking about. But the truth is that Jillian and I, you know, even while we've been away, Monday this week, Monday night here in, in, uh, in Wellington and Monday morning in England, we had a date. For two hours, we had a date. The date was via FaceTime on our iPads and Jillian was at home on a Monday night in Wellington without a meeting to do and praise God. God, the kids went to sleep and I was in my hotel room on the other side of the world and we had a date for two hours. I, 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 when we realized we had this window of time, I ordered breakfast to my room. I, I got ready to go off and do my activities for that day. But we just spent two hours just talking. But the reality is our relationship is blessed by communication, by interaction. But even so, Jillian and I need to have something in our relationship it's, if it's going to work, that even if I did get stuck in some corner of the world without a communication means, without a cell phone or the internet or even the ability to send a letter, even if I was there for months upon end, that Jillian would know that as long as I'm alive, I'm hers and hers alone. Resolve is important in a relationship, but the reality is resolve, it's just not enough. Because if there is the ability for Jillian and I to talk to one another and we don't talk to one another, then how many people know that relationship is not going to be what it could be because communication is at the very heart of what an effective relationship looks like? Come on, are you with me this morning? The fact that we talk with one another is what makes our relationship great. And when it comes to a relationship with God, God never intended for Christianity to be just about the fact that you find Jesus and spend the rest of your life resolving that you're going to follow after Him. You have to have a relationship with Him, communication with Him. A deepening sense of talking to God is what makes a relationship with God vibrant and alive and real and to feel like it's getting richer every day. You have to talk to Him and you have to hear from Him. Adam and Eve in the garden, obviously a representation of what God really wanted for you and I when He made Adam and Eve before sin came into this world. And we find them every morning and evening in the cool of the garden talking with God. We, we need to hear from God. We were designed to hear from God. It is food for us. Can you say amen to that this morning? It is, it is sustenance to our bodies. It is food to our spirit. It'll, it'll keep you going in the middle of hard times. If there's one thing I've learned as a parent, it is that children don't do very well if you do not feed them. Any parents with young children are going to give me an amen. I, I've kind of expected a little bit more enthusiasm on that one. I mean, my children are four and seven, so they're getting a little bit older. But I can tell you that when they were little kids, when they were just, you know, young, maybe three years old, two years old, we'd take them out sometimes. And because we're new to this parenting game, 
It's, it's amazing how many mistakes you make as a parent, isn't it? You know, because you're kind of learning it as you go along. And we'd take them out to the shopping mall and we'd forget that 12 o'clock had kind of gone by. And, and, you know, when you're at the shops or you're doing something busy with life, as an adult, you'll push your lunch out till 2 o'clock. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But with your children, it just doesn't quite work that way. Because if you don't feed them by half past 12, you're kind of all right. If you don't feed them by one, you may be starting to notice it. But if you haven't fed them lunch by two, well, now you've got a problem. Because kids that are normally nice children, kind children, well-balanced children, a pleasure to be around children. If they're three years old, two years old, by two o'clock in the afternoon, you haven't fed them lunch. Every parent here is having like this reaction right now. You can feel it welling up within you because you've been there kicking yourself on the back of the head with your own foot, kind of going, what on earth was I thinking to not feed this child as you're trying to wander around a shopping mall with a this little kid kind of, you know, doing some kind of seizure on the ground, you know, screaming, manifesting demons, earning you as a parent condemning looks from the other shoppers in the shopping mall. Come on, any parent know what I'm talking about? You kind of, you kind of rather than owning up to the fact that it's your child, you sort of look away from them like, I don't know, wow, whoever's kid that is, that parent really needs to sort that child out. Or, or you do the scoop and grab, where you just grab the kid, put him under, their arms and legs are flailing, and you just walk straight out of the shopping mall as fast as you can, hopefully with a baseball cap, and if you're me, praying that no one from the congregation sees you. Because when you don't feed that child, how many people know that, that they fall apart, they're... What they were once kind of able to handle, suddenly they don't seem able to handle. You cross their will just once and they fall apart. You deny them candy and their whole world just kind of crumbles. You have to get them in their little high chair. You put the seatbelt on. It's not for safety, it's for restraint. It's kind of like a parent's version of a torture thing. You're just like, you will stay there. Buckle that thing in. And then you grab anything, anything, anything that's not totally laden with sugar, but you think you might get into that mouth. Well, they're, ah! In fact, you're just hoping that they scream, and then you grab that food, and you just shove it in. Be that. Gently, gently. But come on, you know what I'm talking about, because all it takes is maybe five mouthfuls, and the seizure will come to an end as the food begins to work its way down into their belly, because the kid doesn't work properly without food. And the truth is, even when it comes to an adult, we can kind of moderate, a, moderate our behavior, but if we never ate, if you never ate, after 40 days, you're weak, but what about 80 days? You could have a muscle man, a, a G.I. Joe, you know, someone buffed up, someone really kind of like an absolute, you could have a Jesse Tuiamana Feely, but if we didn't feed Jesse for three months, even I could take him on in a fight. I reckon if we starved him for three months, I could take you down to Chinatown. And the reality is that when you don't eat what you were once impervious to, you now become vulnerable of. What, 
what would never be a threat to you becomes a monumental challenge in your life if you never eat, if you never feed, if you never, if you never nourish what you could once just kind of walk confidently past and know I've got dominance over that, dominion over that. That's never going to harm me. When you're weaker, what you were once kind of impervious to or victorious over, now it can find a way into your life. And the Christian life is not just about food for your body, it's about food for your soul and about food for your spirit. Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. It's not a loaf of bread. It's the voice of God into my life. And Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't only prioritize regular meal times for a healthy metabolism. I prioritize key moments when I hear from God because it feeds the spirit in the very core and in our lives, you and I were not designed to work without a relationship with God. When people don't have that, they become vulnerable to all kinds of things. Sin suddenly raises his ugly head. Depression becomes more likely. Anxiety, fears, maybe a backslidden heart. Maybe just you start looking for all these other things, thinking that they are going to somehow quench the, the thirst of your soul, the longing of your spirit, not realizing that what you need is to hear from God. Because when you hear from God, it brings you back. Without that, we, we, we falter, we lose heart, we are overwhelmed. But when we hear from God, when our relationship is more than resolve, but it's a genuine relationship with communication, then it feeds your spirit. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when God speaks to you, He gives you faith in your heart. And the Bible says that the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. So if what we need to overcome is faith, if that's what keeps you strong, if that makes, that's what makes you impervious to attack, if that's what will keep you on this Christian life above temptation, strong in spirit, vibrant, able to keep going, then we've got to prioritize the faith filling of our spirit. And then the Bible not only says that your faith will overcome it, but it tells you how to get it. And it says you get faith when you hear and you hear when you get a word from God. So word from God is at the core of what a Christian must pursue. Because if you're not hearing from Him, then you're weak in the face of opposition. And we find even in our passage of Scripture this morning that Elijah is a man who has gone a long way for God. He's climbed Mount Carmel called down fire from heaven. I didn't have time to read it for you, but he called down supernatural fire on an altar, supernatural fire that consumed not only the sacrifice, but the wood and the stones of the altar as well. He destroys the prophets of Baal and begins a national revival. He climbs another mountain and calls down rain upon his whole land. How many people know Elijah's been busy? Elijah has been productive. Elijah has done something great for God. I'm here to tell you that being a Christian and experiencing temptation from not hearing from God is not only something that you get just because you drift in your Christian life. It's sometimes the temptation that you get because you're doing the right things with your Christian life. You can be busy serving Jesus and lose Jesus. 
Come on, you can be busy doing stuff for God and be just like Elijah. You get to the end of yourself without a word in your heart because Elijah has done great things for God. Just the day before, we find him lying under a broom tree with a will that he might die. He ran faster than a chariot and a horse in front of it and got to a city. This is a man who is zealous. This is a man who is passionate. But there's also a man who finds himself reaching a point in his life where he is empty, and in his emptiness, he is vulnerable. In our lives, we need to hear from God, and when we do not, we become vulnerable as well. I preached this week. In fact, it was a great honor last Sunday while I was away from you to open Audacious Church's building in Manchester. Uh, I think we we squeezed about 1,900 people in there on one of the nights of the conference this week. And in England, you know, to have a building, a church building that seats more than 400 people, our Capity building is pretty much your typical, atypical, you know, English church venue. And to see now in this day and age, three and a half years into their church venue, Audacious City Church are opening a building that seats 1,900 people. It's just a remarkable testimony to how God is, come on, can we give the Lord some praise for what He's doing through Audacious and Pastor Glenn and Pastor Sophia. They're doing an amazing thing for God. But obviously at the moment, it's the middle of the English summer and at nighttime, the temperature over the week of the conference was not dropping like it should. So they don't have air conditioning over there because you don't really need air conditioning. You have what's called forced air units where you just take the outside air and if you want to cool the venue, you just pump that outside air in because how many people know it's freezing in England? But for one week of the year, while we've got a venue with 1,900 young people, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking a praise pit that goes all the way back. That's a lot of heat being pumped out right there. This venue was to say it was warm would be to kind of say, you know, well, it would be, be wrong, basically. It was, <laughs> this venue was so hot that you're sweating while you're standing in the front row refusing to jump during the praise songs. That's how hot this venue is. I get up to preach and I wore a t-shirt underneath my shirt for the purpose because it was live on God TV. And so I didn't want the big sweat stains to be seen by viewers all around the world. And so I've got, you know, I've got a T-shirt on underneath to absorb the sweat. Well, by the end of my sermon, the T-shirt is wet, the shirt is wet, the sleeves are wet. I mean, I mean, the floor in front of me is wet. My jeans are wet. My socks, it was just not nice. <laughs> I got off the stage, went out to the changing rooms, which is a good thing to just make sure I say that clearly. I went out to the changing rooms and I took off the shirt and and sweat is dripping off my shirt onto the floor. That's the outer layer. I grab the t-shirt, I take it off. It's like somebody had spilt water on the floor, grabbed this t-shirt, and you know, kind of used it as the first thing. You know, the first thing. You know, the one that gets totally soaked in three seconds, that's the t-shirt. I took it off, realized that in one day, I'm flying back to New Zealand, so I took the t-shirt that's in my hand, literally holding it like that, thinking, what am I gonna do with you? There was a rubbish bin right next to me, and I just went, and just put it straight in the bin. You are not coming back to New Zealand. That is, that is gonna get me detained at customs, right there. You're in my past. I finished preaching. I put on a fresh t-shirt, praise God. I come back out of the change room and all I knew was that I was hungry. So 
hungry. Now preaching makes you hungry, but I am hungry, hungry. And I walk out and I'm thinking, what are we doing for supper tonight? And as I'm walking out, one of the guys just hands me a bottle of water. I said, thank you. What are we doing about supper? Can we, where are we going? We're going to supper. We go to supper now, and I find myself just leaning back, and I sculled the entire bottle of water. He looks at me like I'm a freak. I put it down, and he just hands me another one. I said, thank you. Well, supper. <laughs> and I found myself sculling a whole nother bottle of water, and I began to realize that what I thought was hunger was more likely to be thirst. And see, this is the problem with us because David said, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is, and when you don't hear from God, you can know in your life that something's missing and it can be like a person, that's why many diets, when you go on a diet, they say you gotta drink four liters of water today. You gotta drink six liters of water so that we get rid of the confusion in our lives between thirst and hunger. Because when we think we're hungry, we're really thirsty. So when we think we need more stuff in our lives, when we think we need to give up on ministry, when we think we're serving too much in the church, when we think that you know life isn't going the way we want, often the problem is not what we think. The problem is, the problem is we need to hear from God. We need a word. Elijah needed a word. I need a word. You need a word. I was at this conference before Audacious with Pastor Art Boshoff, and on one of the night meetings, he said, Pastor John, I want to pray for you. And whenever he says anything, you just go, yes, Pastor Art. He's got guns the size, of, his arms are the size of my thigh. This man is a tank. And I'm just like, yes, whatever you say. So he invites me up and he puts his hand on my head and he begins to pray over my life and to prophesy about what God was gonna do in the next season. I wrote it down, I was sharing it when we came out of conference with some of the team and really digesting it. But all I knew was that I hit that conference and I was feeling good. But when I hit that conference and I got that word and then I'm on the floor just thinking about it and kind of spending time with Jesus and I grabbed my book and began to write all the things that I was thinking down in it and I just knew that something was coming alive within me. And the thing that came alive was I got a word. See, my friend, you need a word. I need a word. We need a word. Christianity is not just about resolve. It's about relationship. It's about communication. It's about God speaks to you. He puts something in you. David said, I've longed for your words more than for the dawn. I need your word. When will you come to me? When will your word come to me? And when he speaks to you, it changes things and it realigns values and it liberates hearts. And we find Elijah is a man who needs to hear. He needs a word and there are people in this room that need a word and he finds himself lying underneath a tree and the angel wakes him up and says, eat and drink for the journey is great. So the first thing that we find about hearing from God is that if you and I are gonna get a word from God, we're gonna have to commit to a journey. We can't just expect to hear from God because we sit on our backsides doing nothing. We have, we have to decide to get to where God is if we wanna hear from Him. 
40 days. It took Elijah 40 days to climb the mountain, 40 days to get to the point where he could hear from God. That's a lot of time to be devoted to getting into the right place. That shows me that this is both valuable and something that requires prioritization. That if you and I want to hear from God, we live in a microwave generation where if we can't get it in one minute, we're kind of ready to move on to the next thing. And God's saying, no, this is more important than that. You need a word. You've got a journey to where you get the word. You've got a journey to the place where I can speak into your spirit. Did you know I quit the ministry when I was 20? I'm 38 years old, but do you know I quit the ministry when I was 20? I started off preaching. And my, my introduction to preaching was basically my boss at the time saying to me, I want you to go and preach in high schools and tell people about our ministry. Okay, off you go. That was all the training I got, all the discipleship I got, all the analysis I got, all the kind of handouts that I got. He gave me the yellow pages. It's a true story. He gave me the yellow pages with a list of the schools in Auckland and said, go talk about our ministry in the schools of Auckland. So after four months, I'd preached so many times, but I'm here to tell you that most of the times I preached, it was like my words came out of my mouth and fell straight to the floor. I'd get out of the car and I'd be like, dear God, that was horrible. I didn't even want to listen to me speak. <laughs> I went to one school where I had to write an apology letter to the Christian teacher who led the Christian group in that school. And the reason why was I spoke on relationships. I'm 20 years old. I'm single. I've been saved for two years. And I'm suddenly an expert on relationships. I mean, it was stupid. But I was just thinking, young people will listen to me if I talk about the birds and the bees. That's all I was thinking. Just at least look me in the eye when I'm talking. This would be a win for me. So I gave up preaching. I quit the ministry. I thought, this isn't it for me. And I'll never forget getting to the end of that year. And I was on an outreach and I was ready to just kind of do something else with my life. And as I'm sitting down in a, in, a, in, a, in a lounge room one night and I had my Bible open in front of me and someone had just rung me the day before saying, if you need a place to go and rest, you could go to our beach house, our batch right up in the top part of New Zealand. You could go there for a, for a week or two weeks and just it'll be yours free of charge. And I was thinking about what they just said to me and I was thinking about my holiday plans because I've been busy and I'm sitting there and as I'm sitting there thinking about what been offered to me and thinking about what I'm going to do for my holidays, my friend who's on another bed in the same kind of bunk room, we're in a bunk room, he looks at me and goes, John, I've been praying for you and I really feel like God says, you need to go and spend some time alone praying with him. As he said those words, I looked down at my Bible and in front of me was one verse where Jesus spoke to his disciples just after they'd found out that John the Baptist had been killed and he said to his disciples, come away by yourselves and rest for a while. So the two things put together, I knew that God was speaking to me and the batch had been offered to me the day before. And so I went away to this beach house and I, I went there to spend two weeks alone with God. I lasted nine days. And then if you know me, I'm a people person, man. I mean, you know, I mean, John picks me up from the airport this morning. I've been alone on a plane for 24 hours, you know, just sitting there in the dark night. And so I'm like, bada, 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 bada. I told him everything about the trip, you know, in detail. Why? Because I just have to talk to people. <laughs> after nine days at the beach house, I'll never forget, after day seven, I went to the fruit store to get some fruit. It was about, you know, 10Ks down the road. I get to the fruit store and the lady's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Let's dialogue. Let's talk. She's like, I'm here to sell fruit. I said, well, I'll buy fruit if we can talk. You know, like, 
But in the middle of that time, I put nine days aside. I put 14 days aside. And the reason why I put it aside was to hear from God. But I'm here to tell you that something happened to me while I was there. I prayed, I worshiped, I read my Bible. That was all I did. I took no Bible, no book but my Bible. And I spent time in God's presence for nine days. That's extreme. That's out there. That's weird. But so's 40 days to climb a mountain. It's about saying that something's in life, you have to make a journey to get them, but the journey's worth it for what you get. And I'm here to tell you that at that beach house, God spoke into my heart and I learned to hear the voice of God in my life. And it's defined me ever since, set me up for a lifetime of doing this since that moment, because I heard the voice of God in my life. Church, I'd be doing you a disservice if I said it's good enough as a Christian just to come to church on Sunday. You can hear what God said to me. That's important because that's part of our corporate expression. But you need the Word. Every believer is not meant to have a Christian life of resolve. You're supposed to have a Christian life of relationship. The journey's worth it, but you have to set out and make the journey. The second thing that we discover about him is that he not only made the journey, but he was willing to climb the mountain. You have to be willing to get to the heights to get a word from God. You have to get higher. Habakkuk, Habakkuk climbed the ramparts. He said, I've got to get high if I'm going to hear from God. When you're in pressured situations, it's not enough to decide. Sometimes in your life, business person, you have to decide that you're too busy not to pray. Come on, did you hear me? Or was that, did I say a bad thing then? You're too busy sometimes not to pray. Punctuate it with like a year. You're too busy not to pray. Yeah. That, now, now I know I'm at a rise church, you see. Sometimes you've got to decide that you're too busy not to pray in the middle of everything that you, you know when Jesus was at the height of his ministry, the Bible says he often withdrew by himself to pray. Sometimes in your life, university student, don't ever give up on God when you're in the middle of exams. You need him more than you ever have known because if you're not careful, yeah, come on. If we're not careful, we, we negate the number one thing in our lives that we need at the most precious seasons of our lives. And what happens then is we begin to get false hungers or false reads and we think the wrong thing and our minds go to the pack. And the only way you can set it right is to make the journey and climb the height. I'm going to climb the height. I don't care what I'm going on in my life. I've got to get above it. I've got to get my spirit above it. I've got to get above the problem, above the situations. I've got to, I've got to transcend where I am and get to where God is. I need to climb the mountain. Moses climbed Mount Sinai. Jesus climbed the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples climbed to the upper room. We've got to make a decision to get above restrictions, above our normal encumbrances, We've got to get beyond where we are and get to the place where we can hear from God. Come on, band, you come up and join me. Elijah journeyed, Elijah climbed, and then the Bible says that when he got to the top of that mountain that God spoke. God spoke to him. He heard, the, he heard God say to him, come out of this cave and stand at the face of this mountain for I'm getting ready to pass you by. As we get ready for this conference, you know what I think God's saying to every person in this room is that the journey's worth it. That the journey to come to conference is worth it. 
that to set aside the time is worth it. It's not worth it for me. It's worth it for you. I mean, it's, of course, it's worth it for me for what I'm going to get. But it's worth it for you for what you're going to get. The journey is worth it. The time set aside is worth it. Elijah finds himself at the top of this mountain. And the <laughs> Scripture says that the earth begins to shake. And when the earth shakes, he knows that that's not God. When there's a violent wind, he knows that that's not God. When he sees the fire. See, the thing is about life is that when we come to something like conference, we're going to have all the lights and we're going to have all the sound and we're going to have all the people and there's a lot of stuff going on. And that's all good because whenever God turns up, there's always a display of something. We should just take everything that could confuse this, this last bit and throw it all into one pack. All right, He comes together. He's in the place. There's a wind. There's a fire. There's a shaking wind. But He knows that's what, not what He needs. Then He hears that whisper. I don't know if you've ever got to a point in your life where you really need to hear from God. I don't know if you've ever made a decision in your life at one time that you're going to make the journey to the place. But I'm here to tell you that if you haven't, there is nothing like when you hear that whisper. There's nothing like it. When you feel the warmth of His presence, the nearness of His reality, and you start to realize that there is no food that will quench this. No thing you could give me that could ever replace this. That I need that whisper. And what I want to bring to you this morning, church, is a simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? See, the thought for every person in this room as we prepare to go to the place where we meet with God I began to think about this question so much over the last few weeks as I've been thinking about conference and thinking about this moment, thinking about times in our life when we need to meet with God, about how God just says to Elijah, what are you doing here? See, the question is one that causes you to, to center yourself in a location. The question puts you in a place and asks you, what's the purpose of you being here? Why are you there? It gives intention to your location. The question says, what's the purpose of this moment in your life? Because if you give yourself to that moment, to that purpose, what are you doing here? God's saying to Elijah, if I'm gonna speak to you, if you're gonna hear my voice, then you need to be all in the place that you're in to hear my voice. You need to not just be in the right environment where the fire is there and the earthquakes are there and the winds are there. Not just be where the people are, but you need to decide, Elijah, that you are there where you are because you wanna hear my voice. What are you doing here? The question centers us, it locates us. It causes us to, to realize that we're in this building this morning, not for lunch, not for friends, not for the text messages streaming in. Come on, somebody. 
Not for the many things that cloud our minds, but the reason why you came to God's house is to hear from God. What's the intention of your location? What are you doing here, Elijah? I love my son, Will. He is so like me in so many ways, my boy. He wakes up early. I love that about him. Normally, I've just come into consciousness when I will hear the, the noises that I know are Will. Will. Will does nothing quietly, my son. Nothing quietly. And when he gets up in the morning, you know it because you can hear him stomping. I mean, our house is not even loud, but he, he somehow he finds a way to be loud. He gets out of his room and you know he's woken up in the morning because I don't know why, sweetheart, but it's true about Will that in the morning, for some reason, every door he goes through, he closes. So bless his little heart, it's quarter to six in the morning and he comes out of his bedroom. The door was open when he went through it, but he closes it behind him. Bang! And then he goes, he walks in our room, closes it, bang! He doesn't whisper when he sees you asleep in your bed because how many parents know, even if you're awake, you close your eyes when your kids walk in your room. They teach it to you in antenatal classes. He'll walk over to me and he's just like me. He's got a big voice, my son, and it has no fader on it whatsoever. And he'll just walk over me and just go, Hi, Dad! The day has begun. And then from then on until he goes to sleep, he is just busy all day. The kid never sits still. He's never doing nothing. He taught himself to ride a bike. I didn't even get that opportunity. He just went out and taught himself to ride a bike. I come out one day. I never got to do the whole, yes, off you go, son, off you go. I just walk out one day and he's just riding on a bike. He's just on the go all the time. And every so often we'll put him on the thinking stair. You know what I'm talking about? Because we've watched Super Nanny and he's on the, he'll be on the thinking stair. And I'll walk over to him to talk to him about what he's done. Now with, with my beautiful princess, she just looks at you, wants to take in everything that you're saying, but not will. Kind of like, you're looking at him, and, but he's like. Do you know why you're here? He's just busy, he's busy, he's busy. I'm like, look at me, son, look at me, look at me, look at me. This week I'm trying to talk to him on Skype. Now this, my, my princess, we'll have five minute conversations. She wants to know where I am, what I'm doing, who, people I've met, show me pictures, show me the whole stuff. Will, he walks up to the, to the iPad, you know, looks at the camera in it and he goes, have you got my Wii game? I said, not yet, not yet, son, not yet. Oh. On Wednesday night, Emma is chasing him around the house. Jillian's at a meeting. She's got the iPad. She's chasing him around the house. I'm in my hotel room going, Will, Will, Will. So do you know what I did, right? I'm a smart parent. Thursday morning, I went straight out and bought the weekend. So the next night, chasing him around the house, Will, Will. He's like, all right. I said, I've got your Wii game. Can I see it? He says. I said, sure. And I've got the, my little box on the screen that's me, you know, and I put the Wii game in half of it and my face in the other half. 
because it turns out alone I'm boring, but with the Wii game, we're talking for five minutes. It's like, I'm, it's like a revival. I'm having a Pentecostal revival, you know? It's good. And we're, we're like that. You can be in this meeting. I reckon more of us come to even a conference and we're like, Will, Lights, sound, text message, cell phone, resource center, children, children in the programs, children, children, messy clothes, cleaning rooms, cleaning rooms, cleaning rooms, cleaner, can't afford one, mortgage, too high, economy, bat, and like, next thing you know. that question and when I read that I just couldn't get that out of my spirit that there are moments when God's just saying to you what are you, what are you doing here what are you doing here what, what's, what's the purpose of it give intention to your location what do you want what do you want what's it that you desire what are you doing here and then God begins to download into Elijah's spirit and answer to every problem that he ever faced. And he left that environment with a fresh word and a fresh strategy and a successor who reached twice the height that he did. That's awesome. And God's got an answer for every overwhelming need in your life. But you have to come to Him. You have to make the journey. You have to climb the mountain. And you have to locate yourself wholly in the moment. God will speak to you 